Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for the gift of life, Lord. One more day in the land of the living. How great it is to have a day to worship you, Lord. Especially today, the Lord's day, Lord. We know everybody is tuned in. Everywhere. The day we have set apart for the Lord. To worship him, to sit at his feet, to hear of him, to learn of him. And to follow him, Lord. So, Father, as we come to the ministry of the word, I pray this morning you would speak to us, Lord. Continually teach us. Reveal your ways to us and reveal your thoughts to us, Lord. Because we are so far removed from your ways and your thoughts. How can we walk with you, Lord, unless we know you, Father? So every time we come personally as a body to the word of God, our prayer is, Show thyself to us, Lord, that we might follow thee, Lord. Your thoughts, your ways, reveal it to us, Lord. So we commit this time, Lord, and I commit everyone who is hearing into their hands, the youngest in the Lord to the oldest in the Lord, everyone, Lord, commit them into their hands. Speak to each one of us in the way only you can, that everyone understands what you are trying to tell them. Speak, Father. We wait at your feet. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Also pray for Revizak's family. They're going through a tough time, but he's run his race, wonderful race he ran. It was a blessing to so many of us for so many years. And uh, we just thank God for his life. He's still he's alive. And we're going through that stages. We leave the rest into God's hands, but pray to be with his wife, Marjorie, right? Okay. Margie and Naomi, his daughter. Okay. Your son is also there? Okay, okay. Okay. So we just thank God for his life. So this morning, first, we will turn to Matthew chapter 22 and verses 1 to 14. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. Jesus spoke so many parables, parable after parable after parable. And if you look at almost every parable, he was trying to explain to us what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God like. He came down from heaven to earth to reveal heaven to us. And as we go through all these parables, we get different facets of what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. And again he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf and killed them. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. 
So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Look at the whole parable, it seems to be talking about a wedding feast, but if you look at the reactions and the reaction of the king, you know it is not talking about a wedding feast. It's more than a wedding feast. But he puts it in illustration of a king calling, inviting people for a wedding feast. But the crux of the entire parable is in verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. So we will come back to that later. But let me make it go step by step so that for all the new believers who have come in, the young ones, it is not difficult to understand. Okay? Every day, starting today, every day, one of the first things the child of God has to do is labor to enter into his rest. We doesn't, we do not begin with work, we begin by rest. And above all, all the new ones and the older ones, you have to rest in the work Jesus Christ did to see that we are spared from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But God's own Son became that offering that took the wrath of God away from sin. So those who have believed, repented, believed and put their trust in Christ Jesus every day. See that you rest only in his work. Otherwise you will be troubled. Otherwise you will be troubled. Remember there is a sin after salvation and there are the sins before salvation. The sins after salvation should not trouble us the way the sin before did. The second one is connected with sanctification. The first one is all got to do with salvation. Okay, so please do not misunderstand these two concepts. So the first thing every child of God needs is rest. And it's only from rest we'll be able to function and hear what God is trying to tell us. So we know that, that fundamental concept. Last Sunday we looked at sin, iniquity and transgression. Sin is what separates you and me from God. Why? Because sin takes us from God's mark. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has a glory and everybody who comes into God's presence is covered and sheltered by that glory and sin takes that glory off. The wages of sin is death. If you turn to 1 John chapter 3, we commit sin when we transgress or we break the law. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 3, 4. Who commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Okay, sin is law. What is primarily sin? How do you sin when you transgress? The transgression is the action part of it which takes the glory from us and we fall short of God's glory. We also know that sin entered 
humanity when Adam and Eve sinned. Only one law was given to them. Not hundred laws, not ten commandments, nothing except one law. And when they transgressed that one law, what happened? Sin came in. Now when sin came in, what happened is the human nature, their nature was corrupted. That's how the sinful nature or the flesh nature or sin in flesh comes into being. Before that, it wasn't there. When they fell in sin, corruption enters into that human nature, that sinful nature. And after that, all of Adam's descendants inherited sin in the flesh. Please understand this. We inherited sin in the flesh and not guilt in the flesh. I don't carry Adam's guilt. I carry Adam's sin. Okay, there are two different things. I don't carry Adam's guilt. I mean, I am not guilty of eating from the tree. I didn't. He did. I am guilty of the sins which I commit. Okay, but what I carry is Adam's sin, that Adamic nature. So all of Adam's descendants inherited that. That's what David was trying to say in Psalm 51, verse sin that I was shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin. Okay, please remember, sin nature and not the guilt of Adam. What it really means is that after that, our will, the main part of our soul, our soul, the second part of our being has three parts. One is our mind, the other is the will, and the third is our emotions. Our will automatically gets Bent towards sin. So all you have to do, a newborn baby, is leave it alone. It will automatically go into sin. It will automatically go into sin because it's bent towards. All of us are bent towards sinning because that's what happened. Our will is bent towards sin. There is nothing in our flesh that is bent towards God. That's what in Romans 7 and verse 18, Apostle Paul discovers. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing. In me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And this is also what John implies in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Why? When I say I do not sin, then I am saying there is only good in me. It's not good in me. Nothing good in me. Okay. So we will we'll go into this discovery of self of how much evil is there in us. Because it is there in me as long as I am in this body. So there is this daily battle with sin. And that is the battle of whether you are a saint or a sinner. This is the battle of the saint and the sinner. If you come to James chapter 14, Pastor Vijay preached on it, a greer analytical uh, process of how this happens. James chapter 1, verse 14. If each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, okay? You will see, all of us has our own set of desires. 
may have common areas but also completely different. It depends upon what we indulged in as we were growing up. All our desires are not the same. We will have common areas but desires could be absolutely different. So you are tempted by what you desire, his own desires. It's not common desires of mankind. Each one, so each one should know himself or herself. When you come to the Lord, you do ask the Holy Spirit to show you a good cross-check of your life. You know what you indulged in, and those are the areas you mark out and say, I need to be careful in these areas because this is where I am more susceptible in falling. That's how it becomes his own desires. But please understand this. There is a huge gulf between having the sin nature and being enticed by my lusts or desires and committing sin. That is what it is talking about. Verse 15. 14, 15, yeah. When desire has conceived, temptation is not sin. But when conception takes place, then... It gives birth to sin. Where does it take place? It can take place even in your mind. When my mind agrees with the lust or the desire, then I commit sin. Whether in thought, word, or deed. All three. Okay? It can happen in your mind because the desire that is inside you and the temptation, you agree. And you have sinned in your mind. So that's what Jesus is talking about. You can look at a woman. No problem. But if you look at a woman with lust, it has conceived. It has conceived. You can sin in your mind. You can sin with your word. You can speak it out. Something nasty. Okay? You can speak it out. You can sin in your mind. That is when lust and temptation have come together. It has conceived in your mind, in your word, or it can be a deed three ways. Now what happens? You are guilty. Now you are guilty. What is the solution? Repent, confess, forsake, and believe that he is faithful. If I confess, he is faithful, and the blood of Jesus cleanses of all unrighteousness. This is a daily process. Okay, This is a daily process. And the simplest and the best way to do it is cut it off here. Before it comes out of here, or before it becomes an action, by faith, each day, if we learn to cut it off at the mind level, you will realize it's not so difficult. It becomes easier and easier and easier and easier if you are able to. But note, all of us act, think, speak, actually contrary to God's will, often without being aware of it. And you and I were not even aware of it as sin. But a later point, as we grow in the Lord, the word and the spirit through the word can bring it to our awareness. Then what we do? We repent and confess and forsake. That is growing. Like you can, you can imagine some of the most very clear things about us. There are a lot of people who have no clue. Simply because, like I said, not meeting people who have lived a life of sin without realizing it, simply because they did not understand the meaning of fornication in the Bible. They never understood it. And they were single. 
But they said, we never committed adultery. Adultery they understood. Fornication they never understood. So, they were literally living in sin, but did not know it was sin. And God says, now that you know, what should I do? How do I go back? You can't. All you have to do is repent, cut it off, forsake, and you are forgiven. Okay, And then only we will revalue the value of the blood of Jesus, the work which he did. So this is the process. We are not taking anything lightly. What I am saying is that Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And we are all growing in faith. We are growing in faith. And faith comes from hearing. And every day, even today, we may hear things and suddenly realize, oh my God, I didn't realize I was not walking in that. So God says, do you realize that? In those areas, you sinned all these days, but I never showed it to you. Now that you know what you need to do, get rid of it. That's why the key is Romans 1 and 2, especially 2, offer your bodies, 12, 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to good, to God, which is your reasonable service. First, God says, put your body to rest. Okay. One of the first things I tell believers when you come to the Lord is, will you please stop doing ministry? Please just stop doing that. Everybody wants to jump into it. That is just zeal without wisdom. Just, can you chill? Can you just stay still like Mary? Just sit at his feet and just do the things which you need to do, which you already always did. Just do that. And instead, focus on verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because what do we want to do? We want to do the will of God. But you will not even understand what is the will of God until our mind is renewed, until our thoughts, our thinking pattern changes because we grew up thinking in the way the world has framed us through different ideas, ideologies, religious practices. we seeing our parents, elders, teachers, neighbors, all those people who impacted us. We were imitating. And ultimately, we were imitating the world. We never imitated God. Now, when a man and a woman is or a child is born again, we are called to imitate Christ. So God says, just put your body on pause. Pause. Do the things you regularly do. Other than that, put it on a pause and learn. Step by step, I will show you. So let's go back to Matthew 22, verse 14. So in verse 14, he says, many are called, but few are chosen. So if you look at the parable, in not being chosen, you will see there was no fault with the king at all. No fault with the king at all. The invitation has been going out. And it's been going out for 2,000 years. Come, 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 come. If you look at verse 3 of 22, you will see they were not willing to come. Okay. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. They were not willing to come. In verse 5, scripture says, they made light of it. Made light of it. They did not pay attention. 
They made light. The invitation of Jesus Christ, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you. So many invitations of God are there, but all are basically calling us to eternal life, to a relationship with him. But we take it lightly. In verse 6, the third group even went further. The rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. So the question is, how do we respond to the invitation? Why do we struggle to the invitation, respond to the invitation? Why is that the king is inviting everybody and very few are chosen? Okay, very few are chosen. So it sounds strange, it should be written, many are invited, but few responded. But that's not what it says. Many are called, few are chosen. Okay, so there is a response from me and yet there is a supernatural choosing by God. God said, you did not choose me, I chose you. I chose you. Okay, so there is these two things, the supernatural work of God and the free will of man. They go in hand in hand. So we have to look at, because we are looking at ourselves and we are saying, Lord, why are few chosen? Why is this so difficult for us to choose if it is from my side? Why do I find it so difficult to choose that wedding invitation? Look at Luke chapter 9, 23, 24, and then 14 and 33. Luke 9. So he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me. So the invitation has gone and you want to go respond to that invitation. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So he puts the first condition. The only way you can be chosen is you are willing to lose your life for my sake. Okay. Now let's look at the other one. 14.33 Likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has can, cannot be my disciples. You will always read the Bible carefully. The Great Commission is about disciples. And Acts chapter will say the disciples increase. It never says followers increased in numbers. It always says the disciples increased in numbers. And God says, you know what? To be chosen, you need to lose, willing to lose your life for my sake. You should be willing to forsake all that he has, all that I have, to be his disciple. So that's up to us, and it upsets us. What do you mean lose my life? <laughs> what do you mean forsake all? Before you panic. Okay? Because don't panic all the young believers. Oh, why, what does it mean? Do you mean I have to sell all my property and go onto the streets? No. We'll interpret it by what happens before our eyes. Especially in this past 50 days. Especially in India, we see these pathetic pictures of people who came from other states. We call them migrants. Okay, they're not immigrants, they're migrants. Trying to return in their desperation back to their own homes. You will see people willing even to walk 500, 600 kilometers in this 
burning, blazing heat. Last week we saw 14 of those migrants who were walking on the railway line because it's easier to follow the railway line. You know, the railway line will take you to your destination. No trains, everything is shut. And they were sleeping in the night out of tiredness on the railway line and a good strain that was passing by. I don't even know how they did not even hear the rattling of the rails. They must have been so tired and uh, ran over them, 14 of them killed. We saw last week in one of our neighboring cities, there was a gas leak in one of the factories and so many falling, literally falling on the roads. There also 10, 12 people died, thousands were they literally collapse on the roads. But what is the picture we saw? The migrants who came all the, let's talk about Hyderabad, came all the way because the economy is better here and the salaries are better here for daily workers, especially in the construction business. When a particular situation hit and the lockdown came, they were willing to forsake everything and go back to their homes. And you will see them just holding one little bag on their head and some water and with their children. And you have here all these stories of women who gave labor had on the roads and all that stories are coming. You see how they were willing to forsake everything to save what? Their life. Because they thought if we stay here we will starve and die. And they were willing to forsake. On the other hand, India government is on one of the largest operation to bring Indians stranded in different countries. So Air India is on a huge operation bringing in the, the other migrants who went to other countries. And you will see how they went. They had great dreams of earning money, building a house over there. Now they are all coming back with just one bag. Okay. Now they are also willing to give up all those dreams come back homes where there are no jobs for them yet what do they want it is okay we just want to save our lives we understand what god is trying to come god says you know what in practical life you will do it in practical life you will do it to save this physical life all those who forsake and go back ultimately they will all die nobody can actually save this life Ultimately, you will all die. Why has this entire world been locked down? To save lives. Governments are willing to go to such drastic measures to shut down the economy of whole nations for 50 days to save lives. So we know suddenly what it is to forsake all. To lose your life for my sake. To forsake all. In material terms, we understand it. But that's not what Jesus is actually asking. Because that is easy. We know that we can do it. And even unbelievers are all are doing it. Everybody is doing it. So that's not what God is asking. Because immediately we are asking, how can anybody leave everything for Jesus' sake? God says, look at people doing it for their own sake. That's not. I'm going to ask you something. It's more difficult than this. So let's learn from Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 3. This is talking about Jesus, the prophecy. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. We leave that alone. That's another entire different study. And we look at the second part of it. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. There's something told about Jesus. Jesus has come 600 years later after this prophecy. 
and he's walking on earth. Now please understand, all of us make our decisions usually in life based on what we see or what we hear. We process that in our mind and we make our decisions. If anyone could have made decisions based on what he saw or what he heard, Jesus could have. Okay? You know what it means? It means we all have our own opinions, our own ideas, our own thoughts about everything. But what Jesus is saying, I will only judge by what I hear the Father say. I will not judge by myself. I can judge by myself. The free will is given to me by my God. But I will not judge by myself. I will not judge by what I see. I will not judge what I hear. Instead, I will judge by what my God tells me through the word, through his spirit. That's only how I will make decisions in my life. So Jesus has shown us the way. If you look at Psalm 138 and verse 2, it's an incredible part, part B there. I will worship towards your holy temple, praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. And verse, second part, for you have magnified your word above all your name. See, it's easier to magnify his name than his word. You know that? It's easier to magnify his name than his word. Because to magnify his name, I can always say, Lord, I'm doing this in your name. Very easy. I'm doing it in your name. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. That's a name. Are you a Christian in thought? Are you a Christian in your ideas? Are you a Christian in your word? Are you a Christian in your deed? In short, are you a Christian in your life? Oh, I'm not very sure. See, it's very easy to be somebody in name than somebody in truth. Because he has magnified his word above all his name. So Jesus comes on earth just like us. What does he have? 39 books. What do we have? 66 books. And the best of the 66, unlike the 39. We have 27 better books. Because the new covenant is a better covenant than the old. Right? Because in the days that were past, God spoke through various ways, through his prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son. So what do we have? What the son has spoken. So it is better than so many ways than the Old Testament. So let us see what this actually means to forsake all and to lose your life. To be a disciple. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 6. The battle that we fight. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That means we war, but we do not war according to the flesh. Every day is a battle. Yes. You went to 6, 3 to 6. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, meaning they are not earthly, they are not fleshly, they are not worldly, but mighty 
only in God. Okay, remember that. For pulling down strongholds. Where are the strongholds? In my mind. Received ideas. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. There are so many ideas in our mind which we don't realize which lifts itself above the knowledge of God. We are all like little children when you tell them to do, I know, I can do it myself. Basically what the child is saying, I know better than you. I can do it by myself. So many ideas up here which exalts itself above the knowledge of God. So God says you have to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6, Pastor Vijay was preaching yesterday on that. So the question is this. Battle is won here, lost here. You win it or lose it here. When you lose it here, it comes out as a word or a deed. When you win it here, it will come out as a word or a deed or it doesn't come out at all. Both is winning. Okay. If you win it here, a wrong battle, you win it here, it will not come out. It will not come out. As long as you haven't spoken it out, there is still great liberty. You have an angry thought towards somebody, but you don't speak it out, it will go away. You cut it off over here. And you choose to go even to the other side to win a bigger battle, you open your mouth and speak a kind word. That is giving it back to the devil. Hmm? Okay. Okay, so please remember, this is Jesus' battle. This is how we won. I will not judge by what I see, but judge by what I hear. Everything that I see, everything that I hear, I will not allow it to be raised above the knowledge of my Father. I will bring every thought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. This is a process, okay? So if we fail, for some time, don't worry. It's a process. It's a battle. And how did Jesus come? Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So first thing God says, when you all struggle in your minds, let's begin from there. Don't get so upset. You have a high priest who understands you very well. Because he went through it all. But he didn't lose but was all points tempted as we are. So Jesus' temptation was no different from our temptation. So please never say, God, you don't understand. God says, I do. <laughs> Very well. No, you won't understand my temptation. How can you? He says, because my son went through the same thing. What you get tempted in your mind, he went through it all. So he, he understands you very well. That's why I sent him. So that nobody will ever say, God, you don't understand. I understand you very, very well, what you go through. So he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. Huh? Though he was the perfect man, he sympathizes with us who are imperfect. He's not angry with us. He's not self-righteous like the Pharisees. Be like me. Why can't you be like me? He doesn't say, I understand. Okay, just come to me, I will help you to be like me. That's what the Pharisee is the actual physical representation of the law. He will say, be like me and will never help anybody. Jesus is the exact opposite. He says, be like me and he helps everybody. That's the difference of grace and the law. Okay. So Jesus was tempted. Who was he tempted by? The devil. 
who are we tempted by? The devil. The devil's job is an excellent worker. Okay, He's an excellent worker. He's excellent in his job. You need to be an excellent worker. And devil is also a symbol of an excellent worker. Tireless worker. Excellent in the work he does. And Jesus was tempted by the devil. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 14 and 15. So we understand it very well. So we don't fall into this trap. No wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, remember Satan also has ministers. Okay, ministers, pastors, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, we know a one particular incident in Jesus' life very clearly mentioned after he got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led by the Holy Spirit or driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, he fasts and he's tested by the devil. Always we get this impression, we do not know how he was tested. Was it in his mind? Did the devil appear to him? What did he appear with two horns and a big pointed tail and all? No, I believe this is how the devil comes. Because if the devil comes as the devil, it's very easy to oppose him. I know who you are. I'm not going to even listen to you. Get away from me. Don't even speak to me. I don't want to hear to you. Okay? I don't want to hear you at all. I don't want to hear you at all. Okay? But what he comes in another way? What he comes as an angel of light? What he comes as an angel of light? What if he looks like Gabriel? Not that we know what Gabriel looks like. <laughs> but Jesus would know what Gabriel looks like, or maybe he also has emptied himself of all that is going by only what the father shows him. So look at the, he's in the desert. Let us say there is a real manifestation of an angel. Okay? And Lucifer looks like a glorious angel. Glorious angel. So how do pastors come who are pastors of the devil? They come as ministers of righteousness. How do you know I am not a minister of the devil? Do you think I'll put two horns over there? No. How do you know? How will you know? These are the lessons God is teaching us. How do we know? And here it says, he comes like this. And the temptations of Jesus Christ is what everybody primarily goes through. What he went through, what Adam and Eve went through, what all humanity goes through is divided into three parts and that is the sum total of all the temptations we all go through. Every man, woman goes through. It is found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, okay, if you are not in this world, you will not be tempted. You are tempted only in this world because this flesh and this world are made for each other. The flesh is the fallen nature that came into power after man sinned and the world was created for that man by the devil. That's why he is called the ruler of the world and not the ruler of the earth. Okay, ruler of the earth. He's not a ruler of the earth. He's the ruler of this world. So all that is in the world. Okay. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Every temptation will fall into these three categories. 
every temptation will fall into one or other of these three categories or all three together. You have there the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? In his case, it was hunger. It was hunger. Eve's case also, I believe, it was probably meal time. She was also hungry and was passing by to pick some fruit and then stopped at this one and looked, I wish, I wonder what this tastes like. Which scripture says it was good for the stomach. Okay. Why it tastes, looks really nice. Wonder what it tastes like, you know. That's how restaurants advertise, right? Wonder what it tastes like. In English, the term for that is hedonism. Okay? Hedonism. Okay? That's it. Appetite of the flesh. Can go into any area. Just love. Fleshly lust. Can go from food into an entire spectrum of things. Spectrum of things. Once that gets in. The problem with it is then you are never satisfied. The whole purpose of it has been lost. Yes, Apudi. Purpose of it is lost. Okay. It is. The whole purpose of it is lost. Okay. What is the purpose of food? Satisfy our hunger and give us strength. But when it starts taking more than that, we are in a very dangerous life. Okay? Okay? Everything. And of course, when you go into these lusts and all that, finally we go and stop at sex and it becomes very, very dangerous. So more riders of protection is put around it. Even around food. Everything you will see God has put protection around it. The entire chapters in Leviticus is about food. Why? Because God is putting protection walls around it. Okay, And the most protection he puts is around something which he himself created and put the desire in every man, woman. And he puts walls around it, around sex. C.S. Lewis in one of his books, I forgot, I read it uh, centuries now. I'm not that old, but long time back. He says, Think about, let's think about uh, Dr. Richard. Okay, let's imagine he loves food. He's not a foodie. But let's imagine he loves food. Okay, and uh, he's, he goes out, not up now, after lockdown. He has his chicken 69. Okay, and he eats to his full till here. Then he orders one more plate and said, pack it. But he's full, but he still says, packet, then he comes home and he takes out a plate, sits at his dining table, keeps it there and looks at it and looks at it, walks around and looks at it and he keeps looking at it Okay, what do you need to call him? he's crazy he says that's the problem with people, you see if anybody were to do that with meat or stuff like that you would call him crazy but when they do it with sex, nobody calls them crazy. That's what porn is. This you don't realize. People are crazy. They can sit around watching all this junk for weeks and days. 
all their life, I don't realize it is madness. It is madness. You know what hedonism means? Okay. The primary level, it is food. But at every level you go over there, no? 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 We drink coffee. Then we drink strong coffee. Then we drink, <laughs> we, we drink chocolate, coffee with chocolate. Then we have all these ratios. No, you have, no, this coffee and the other stuff, chicory. Okay, 90, 10, 80, 20, no, I wanna try 70, 30, then 60, 40. All kind of combinations we try, try then we want to add a little rum to it and we drink all kind of, you know how people go crazy? But all these things, you know. But that is how every sexual perversion arose. You added something, added something, added something, added something. And we call that as perverse, but we don't call this perverse. And when you get hooked by it, we are willing to bless the wrong man. <laughs> Change the entire history of God, like Isaac. Change the entire plan and purpose and will of God, just because you... Have gone hooked to food. Okay, so please understand what God is talking about. Okay? All that is in the world. So God says, I've given all this to you. Please exercise self-control. Okay? Then we have what is called the lust of the eyes. What is that? In simple terms which we can understand, materialism. The devil took him and showed him. All the nations of the earth and its glory. Glory. Okay. If you look at children, they already have it. You take any girl, little girl, four or five year year old, if you haven't trained them really well, go out shopping and says, you can pick your own clothes. They will always pick the shiny ones. Silver, gold. <laughs> right? <laughs> All silver. Shiny, shiny, shiny ones. And the parents will say, no, 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 no. But you said I can choose. The father will say, let her have it. You said no, let her have it. No, this materialism, I'm putting it at a simple thing, down to the, why do people spend millions on houses? Like one of the guys, one of the richest guys from the Middle East, in from Kerala, who committed suicide, two, three weeks back with Joey, he built a 45,000 square feet house in Kerala. You know what, 45,000, this might be around 1,500 square feet. What are you going to do with 45,000 square feet when you have one and a half children? Think about it. What is this person who is supposed to be the head of the church living in a 3,000 room palace when the son of man whose servant he is supposed to be did not have a place to lay his head? See, in Matthew chapter 8, if I am right, is when he says, birds have nests, foxes have holes. Right? That's a little after he told the two disciples who followed him, come and see. 
So what did they actually see? Was he slipping out in the open? Come and see. He took him to some garden over there and he's got a rolled up mat and says, this is where I sleep. And they spent the night with him. They also put their robes and slept on it. Maybe, we do not know. Then they go back and say, you know what? That's the Messiah. You know? Messiah. I'm not setting any standards here, okay? What I'm saying, all of us have to learn to hear from God. Clearly hear from God. Okay? So that we don't know, we are not getting into this trap. So materialism is there. The lust of the eyes. And then you have the pride of life. The devil took him to the top of the temple and said, what do you want? What do you come for? Ministry, right? Ministry. You don't have to struggle for a ministry. I'll tell you how to begin your ministry. We shall call it, later they will give it a different name, but we shall call it the Big Bang Theory. How you begin a ministry. You just go to the top of the temple. And the crowds are there. They all come for the festival, right? They're all there. Everybody is there. And you can begin with a bang. Just jump. And suddenly you will see a set of angels will come and lift you up and bring you gently down onto the earth. You know what? Your ministry has begun. Nobody will doubt you after that. That's the pride of life. Pride of life. That is our ego. Hedonism, materialism, and egoism. And you will see every sin can be traced back to these three. You will be like God. Every temptation can go to this, to this three. Every temptation to this small thing, even as a child. No! I can do it. Meaning, I can be like my father. Though I am not old as he, as experienced as he, I don't have his strength, I don't have his knowledge, but I can like be like him. Leave it alone. I will do it. It's already there in the child. I'll eat by myself. And spill all over the place. But you will not clean by yourself. That you leave it to mommy. You have to always distinguish these two things with this child. You have to teach the child to take care of itself. Yet distinguish when this ego is coming. And when that is coming you will say, no, today I am feeding you. I want you to learn to eat by yourself. But today I am feeding you. Why? I will see that your will is bent to my will. So that one day your will is bent to my father. Always see this distinction when the child is reacting. Be watchful. Is it bending it to itself or bending it towards you? And the action may be the same. Okay. <clears throat> but if you look at these three platforms in which every I'm using IT language, right? <laughs> Old days platform is from where we boarded a train. Now you have other platforms also. Okay? But in these three major categories into which every temptation falls, what is the core deception that is set? 
What is the course? Deception that the devil set with Adam and Eve to with Jesus and to all of us. You know what he's saying? Even in the temptation when he says, I will give all this to you, just bow down and worship me and I'll give it all to you. In every one of the three temptations, the major three categories into which everything falls with Adam or Jesus or any of us. What is the core, if you understand the core deception, we'll understand what Jesus is saying. The, the core deception is, you don't have to serve God, you can serve self. He's not asking us to serve devil. Devil will never come and say, look, serve me. We'll never, because we'll say, I'll not serve you. He will say, serve yourself, because everyone who serves himself serves the devil. Anyone who does not gather with me, scatters. That is the core deception you are looking at. The core deception, if we don't understand, we will realize even when we think we are serving God, often we are serving self and the devil is very happy with our ministry. He says, good, this is a ministry I really want to bless because I see at the core of it, you are not serving God, you are serving yourself. If we can answer that question correctly each day, most of our troubles are over. Most of our troubles are over. And each time, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Meaning, I will lift God up. I will not go by what I hear. I will not go by what I see. I will not serve myself. I will serve only God. It is written. It is written. So the third time over the devil says, it is written. Meaning, even through the word, you can still serve yourself if you are very picky about which word you pick. So what do all the prosperity preachers, they go to 1 John and they pick up, Beloved, this is my prayer for you. Prosper in all things, even as you prosper in the... And the soul part, they will not talk. Because if you talk about the prosperity of the soul, that is a man who has given his soul over to God, he will never serve himself. He will never serve himself. A man who has prospered in the soul is a man who has died to himself. So he will never serve himself here. So, so that part they will never tell you. So they will pick it up and make an entire theology and millions and millions will subscribe to the theology. The churches are big, tens and thousands are flocking in. The devil is tickled pink because everyone is serving himself. Name it, claim it, have it. Who are you serving? This is the will of God for you. You are not serving God. You are making God serve you. You are not serving God. Every miracle is directed to the step. To the self. That's why Jesus was getting angrier and angrier. Finally, he said, show us a sign. He said, only one sign I will give you. The sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is the death to self. And Jesus was telling very clearly. I will not serve self. If you can handle this honestly, one day at a time, you can actually live a tension-free life. That's what it means to live by faith. This is what it means to pick up your cross daily. Where your self-life just dies. That's how Jesus works. 
Because everything is connected to the self in the fallen man. And because he died daily to self, he could also hear clearly every day. And because he died daily to self, he could also serve selflessly every day. Imagine today, think about the name-wise, the biggest pastor you can think of. Let us put it across. Largest congregation in the world. They say Houston. Joy lost him. Sunday morning, imagine God telling him, leave your church, leave your congregation today, let one of the assistants preach today. I want you to go down to the red light area in Houston and speak to a prostitute who is sitting on everything you'll go. But Jesus went to Samaria. He left the entire Israel, left the crowds, left everybody and walked all the way. Sat by the well for a woman who would be called a loose character. Somebody has been married five times and is living with a sixth one. You know what her name in the society is. You know what we will call her. And Jesus went. Why is he able to serve like that? Because he's not serving himself. He's not serving himself. He's serving God. That is the old man who wants to serve himself. The new man wants to serve God. And the battle is there constantly. The old man wants something. He wants to be something. And he wants to be recognized. Our pattern is very, very clear. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 7. Very beautiful. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. One, when you talk about a mind, there are thoughts, there are attitudes. NIV, if I am right, will translate it as, let this attitude. You need to have a humility is also an attitude, a state of mind and an attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, okay, meaning he was God. Did not consider it robbery to be in equal with God, unlike the devil. Devil was a created being. And he wanted to be like God. Jesus was God. And he had the form, exact form of God. But he gave it all up. Other fellow who was not wanted it all. Did not consider and made himself. How do you make yourself nothing? If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the op- what is your opinion about this? He will say nothing. I have no opinion about it because I haven't heard from my father yet. I have no opinion. When I hear, I will tell you. I am a man with no opinions. What do you think about this? I don't. Meaning? I haven't applied my mind to it yet. I don't want to make an opinion about it. Let me hear. Let me say what is written about it. Then I will tell you. What is written is God's opinion. When the Spirit comes on what is written, it is God's opinion. And that becomes His opinion. Because He says, I have no opinion of my own. That is how you make yourself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Then you are a servant. Who are you serving? Who are opinion you took? Okay. Servant comes. Madam, what do you, what do you want to make today? Uh, make chicken. Okay. 
and she immediately goes and starts making chicken. Now she got half a instruction and decide the rest is mine. She will ask, Madam, what chicken? What chicken? Otherwise she will end up serving the mistress what she likes, not what the mistress likes. What chicken, madam? What chicken? Okay, now if you are in the West, they will also ask you, how do you want your steak? Rare? Nah, not me. Rare? <laughs> Medium? Or nicely burnt? Even if it is a burnt offering, it is fine. Okay, do you know how they ask you in the restaurants? How do you want it? How do you want it? That's a servant. A servant is very clear. I'm doing a task, but I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for somebody who's entrusted me. So I need to be very clear. I've got the instructions clear. I have to do it in a way that pleases him, not pleases me. I can do something which pleases me. Fantastic. I say, wow, great. And realize my master is not pleased. The father was very pleased with Jesus always. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. How could he please him? Because he was always tuned to what the father liked, not what he liked. So he was tempted at all points, just like us, even in our ministry. Wakes up in the morning, gets ready and says, Lord, today I'm going to the temple to pray. God says, no. No. I'm not going to the temple. I'm not going to the temple. Where you, where do you want? Samaria. Samaria? Uh, okay, Lord. At Samaria who? Which town? No, not to the town. Outside. Outside? Yeah, where? No, there will be a woman I will send to you. Go sit there and wait. She will come to you. Okay, then. I have no opinion about this. Who made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now let me take a break over there because we have a lot of young, new, new people, young, old, all listening. Listen to me carefully now. There are a lot of things we have already heard. We don't have to go and ask again and again. Maid comes, takes a job. One week, two weeks later, madam says, okay, I understood, now you know what I like. So, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is what I want. Thursday, Friday, this is what we like. Saturday, this is what you make. She already knows. Again, after, madam, today is Monday, what do you want me to make? Didn't I tell you? So, we have a lot of stuff which is already written. Which we already know. Lord, should I be angry today? Lord, is it wrong to be angry? Why are you asking this question? Isn't it already told? Lord, can I please think about adultery once, Lord? Why are you asking me these questions? Lord, I am in such a bad situation in my life. Can I lie my way, my way through? Lord, I will not buy. Please, I will keep my money. I will give you a double offering also. But can I please covet Lot of things we don't need to ask. Young people who are listening, lot of things you don't need to ask. You already know. Even the unbeliever knows. 
People will ask, what about all these people who have never heard the gospel? How will they be judged? The Bible says, how will they be judged? In their conscience, there is something which says, this is right, which is wrong. When they stand before God, he will judge them by it. Did you know what was right? To a certain level, yes. Did you do that? No. Did you do that? No. And when you didn't do that, were you troubled? No. Did you cry out for help? No. Why didn't you? Okay, so we have a lot of stuff. It's like, you no, know, let's, let's simple example because please, dear brethren who just came to the Lord, doesn't matter how old you are, don't jump the gun. Understand how it works. You have heard many things and God has spoken to you many things. You have learned many things. Don't wait for something new every day before you start slowly practicing what you have already heard. Okay, it's like GPS. Going to where? Going to Arangal. Turn left. Turn right, 200 meters, take this turn, ORR road, now 200 meters ahead, you have told you are on the highway. After that, the lady is silent. Why? Keep on going straight for 100 kilometers. Does she have to keep telling you? No. Does God have to tell you? you have, I've given you this. Now keep on walking straight for. And if you need to make a turn, I will tell you. And if you take a wrong turn, I will tell you. Lot of time we don't know, Lord, I didn't hear anything today. What should I do? What you did yesterday? Do it. What did I do yesterday? Same thing. Do it today. You don't need anything special today. Lot of people think I need to have this active voice of God every day. You need it if you sin regularly. Let us say Elijah was in Kerith for one year. For one year, he didn't speak to him at all. What should he do? Just do what you're called to do. What are you? A prophet. Meditate upon my word, pray. Intercede for this nation. That's all you do. What about food? It will come to you. Eat, pray, meditate, go to sleep. Nothing else, nothing else. That's it. He doesn't ask. For how long he is in Kerith, he doesn't ask, Lord, what should I do? He never asks. He already knows what he's supposed to do. That's all. What are we supposed to do? Have the services regularly two days a week, two times a day till the lockdown is over. Lord, tomorrow is Monday. What should I do? Didn't I already tell you what you should do? How long? Didn't I tell you that too? The lockdown is over. Your lockdown is also over because people will go to work. You all sit and work. You don't have to preach. Now work. But when we sat down and worked all these years, did you tell us a lockdown was coming? But we obeyed it by faith without even knowing what was coming. We had no clue what was coming. We had no clue what this meant. But every day we came. Every day we sat and studied. Every day we made our notes. And when the time came, it was easy to give it up. Okay, It's as simple as that life. Don't make it complicated. It's as simple as that. So our pattern is Jesus Christ. We need to have that mind. And as we keep obeying, you don't have to worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, God says. Have you done all you knew, all you, what you know, what you should do today? Have you done? Yes. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7.
Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. You see, what did he say? Here, I am. Verse 7, it's an important one. God doesn't want burnt offerings and sacrifices and all that. He says, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Here I am. The volume of the book, it is written about me. Where is it written about him? Here. Where is it written about you and me? Here. Right? Jesus does not wake up in the morning. Daddy, I know everything is written about me in the book, but my little finger has got a problem. He says, I don't know what is written about me. God will say, tell your finger to walk with you. What is written about you? Is it written about the finger? Two. So if it was written about the head, it was written about the whole body too. Can a body have a separate destiny from the head? No. But that's what the church has become, headless. So it was written about him. It's written about me too. Where do I find it? In the volume of the book. The volume of the book. But before I know, can we go to that whole portion? Yeah, five to seven. Can I have it together? Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. A body you have prepared for me. So it has two levels of meaning. One, it is his own physical body in which he came. The other is us. Other is us. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for you had no pleasure. And then, then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. To do your will. That's what I came for. How awesome it is, right? So you have to take baby steps, the new believers. Little baby steps. What you know from the book. Write it down. That's why you keep a notebook. You don't write how to, you don't need all information from the Bible. But as you are going through listening to messages, you know God is speaking to you about one thing. Write it down. Write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down. And once you have kept it, God will keep on giving you instructions, what you need. It's very simple. Here I am. I've come to do your will, O God. God says, here, I'll reveal to you as you go by. Turn to Acts chapter 9, 1 to 6. In KJV, KJV, other translations will swallow an important verse. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any of this way, that is the believers, the Christians, whether they were of men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he had the letters. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Hmm? What will you have me? As simple as that. 
if you are the Christ, I have been serving all the years. I didn't know it was you. But now that you have realized Yahweh is you, then my next response is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And what is the answer? The Lord said, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You can keep stick to NKJV, okay? Okay? Arise, go to the city. Now let me ask you this question. To arise and go to the city, is it difficult? No. That's all God told him. Arise and go to the city. I will tell you. When? We know it happened after three days. It could have been after three years. Three days, six days, seven days, ten days, six months, ten months. We don't know. What did he tell you? Arise and keep doing what you are doing. Only change your direction. You were after them. Now be after me. Don't be after them. You understood? The people you are persecuting are my people. Change your trajectory. Go to this city. The question here, the main question is here, when you have heard arise, go into the city, you will be told what you must do. Will we surrender to his will or our will? That is, will we serve God or serve self? It's a question every day we face. Whom will we serve? Serve God or serve self? Because that's what is happening. This entire shutdown is based on one thing. At least theoretically, the value of human life. Theoretically, not practically, but theoretically value of human life. Why I say theoretically? Because if you really, really valued life, and you valued life, and that's what this whole lockdown was, why did you open the liquor shops? Why did you open the liquor shops? Where every social distancing norms are being broken, and these guys will take the virus and take it to every house they will take it, right? So your entire process of locking down this country for 40 days was already lost in one day. Because you wanted money. You are saying, no, money is not what is important. Economy is not what is important. Life is so important. But at the end, you turned it around and said, life is not important. Money is important. Let them kill their wives. Go beat them up. 40 days, women had relaxed. This guy was not drinking. I, for first time in my life, everybody was observing the Christian feast called Lent. 40 days. <laughs> Okay, 40 days, marpid nahi mila, except those one by faith stored early. Rest. <laughs> okay, rest of them were early. Now everybody is getting beaten up again. Okay, everything is gone out of the window. Next month's rent is gone, child's fees is gone, everything has blown. He went and stood in the queue for 10 hours, bought for 50,000 rupees and took it home. So what did you value? So these are all, this is the problem with the system of the world. They will put across very righteous principles. They don't believe in anything. They don't believe in anything. When our God says something, he believes it. When he locks you down, be very sure, he will lock you down. Until we come through. But what is the whole principle of the whole lockdown? Human life is valuable. But that life the government is trying to save is a very temporary, transitory life. And people are willing to forsake everything to save that life. God says, how much are you willing to forsake to attain eternal life? We understand many are called, few are chosen. 
until we you and I are willing to embrace that invitation with no reservations. Come to me. Come to me. Saying yes to that call is to follow as a disciple. That's why only few are chosen. Why? Because very few are willing to pay the price to give up. Give up what? What is the most difficult thing to give up? It's not money. It's not jobs. It's not houses. It's not wife. It's not children. It's your own opinion. You want to give up your own opinion, your idea about anything. Your own ideas, opinions, thoughts, feelings, desires. Why do people leave the church? Because they, other than for the truth of the word, doctrine was wrong. Understand, you need to leave. Why do people leave church? Because they were not willing to change their opinion. Why do marriages break up? Why do children leave home? Do you know at the core of everything that happens in this world, it has got to do with self. You have lifted an idea above the knowledge of God. And when you start worshipping it, it becomes the stronghold on which you operate. And even ministries are built on that. And once that happens, you are gone. Okay, John points, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. His disciples starts leaving. Little later, all the crowds are around with Jesus. His ministry is shrinking, 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 shrinking. And people come to him and say, look, all the people are going to the new kid on the block. Yeah, that's fine. He should increase. I should. You know, he says, you know what? I had a ministry and I was given an idea. My idea had a time limit. It's over. The real has come. Now, they should go to him. I can only bring you thus far. That is Moses. I can only bring thus far. Only Joshua can take you across. So Moses has to die. So Joshua will take you across. That's what John is saying. I'm the end of the law. Finished. He will take you across. I can only bring I can only point you to him. I can't be him. I can't be him. So it all must start with a willingness to leave our ideas, our thoughts, our opinions. Then only the journey can begin. Then only the journey can begin. Discipleship is a lifelong journey. But at every day we are getting rid of an idea, an opinion. Okay, Lord, okay, Lord. Okay. You are boss. You are boss. Take it out, replace it. Take it out, replace it. Take it. All begins and loses here. It's like Saul of Tarsus. Who are you, Lord? Jesus, what should you do, Lord? It will be told you. Go to the city. He's blind. The light has blinded him. He says, they didn't understand what was being spoken. So they asked him, what do you want? They must have asked him, Saul, what do you want? Shall we go back to Jerusalem? No, take me to Damascus. 
Take me to Damascus. Right? Elizabeth has a baby. What do you want to name? John. John. There's nobody in our, in your, both your households called John. How can you name him John? That's what God said. I have many ideas for a son. I had waited so many years for a son. And had planned many names for my son. But God said John. But John doesn't sound with anything that I am familiar. He is familiar. So let us go ask the father. They thought the father will write because he had been struck dumb. The father opened his mouth and said John. Why? We have no opinion about this. The child itself is God's idea. What should my ministry be called? I will wait. Church began in 2008. But if you look back and see 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, when internet came in, what is my email? It's Charis Global. What is Charis? It was grace. Even before I ever even thought about a church being started through me, God had already given a name. It is grace. When it starts, it will be grace. And I didn't know. I didn't know. Because Charis in Greek means grace. Do we have any sovereignty? It's my ministry. I will name it what I like. No, it's not my ministry. It's not my church. It's his. He puts a name. Lord, who am I? What is your name? Whatever he says, that's my name. So if he calls Jacob, Jacob, that's my name. If he calls him Israel, that's my name. If he calls me Worm, that's my name. He called him all these names. You Worm, Jacob. If you call me Worm, I'm Worm. Because you know what I really am. I don't have an opinion about this. Then only we will realize until we come into this road constantly how stupid and worthless are our ideas, our opinions, even our desires in the light of the life Christ is offering. Listen to Paul in chapter 3 verses 7 and 8 to those Profs in those universities in US. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. A comparative PhD in philosophy Paul had. University of Jerusalem and his supervisor was Gamaliel. Dr. Paul. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He's not saying loss for my ministry, for my work, for my life. No. Then it is not loss. Still serving self. For Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain. You will see he will never mention his ministry. Or his work. That's how our PhDs mean nothing to us. If our PhDs is replaced by our ministry and 10 years later you say, you know what, have you seen my ministry? We reached 195 countries. So losing that was worth it. No. No. 
It's gaining Christ. You see, you can find satisfaction in this work too. That's why I said we hate coming before this camera. Because we wanted to remain incognito for our own sake. How long will you preach hidden? All the days of my life. So it's a test. And this situation fosters to come out in the public. We didn't want to be seen. This is a battle against ourselves. Keep preaching, keep preaching. Nobody has to see you. No. It's a battle. It's all about Christ. Then only you will realize, yes, I sat under the feet of Gamaliel. I was Pharisee of Pharisees, learned among the learned, and I had a chance to be part of the high priest, the Sanhedrin, and maybe ten years from love he had his plotted it all out, high priest. Yeah, he had already planned out his career all out. High priest. That's how people, people already plan out their careers. No, people say you need to have, where there, they will use scripture, where there is no vision, people, you need to have a vision in this world. You have to plan it out your entire career, five stages, ten days, it's like India's five year plan. Five years, ten years, fifty, what do you see yourself in fifteen years? High priest. That's what Saul of Tarsus would have come, told. Now you're asking, what is your plan? Christ. Christ, on I in Christ. I want him. I want to replace my entire thinking patterns, attitude, everything, so that at the end of it, I think like him, I am like him, so I can say, I am no more, he is all. That's my target. When I finish, I want to finish like him. You know? What does he call it? I count them as rubbish. Our ideas, Opinions, every relationship, idea about a relationship. Relationships don't hinder. Relationships don't hinder. It's our idea of relationships that hinder. If I leave my wife and go on missions, what will people think about me as a husband? That is what stops you. What will people think? If my children, etc., etc., what will people think of me as a father? Opinions. All these opinions, Paul says, is rubbish. Rubbish. Now you understand, in the light of it, Matthew 7, 14, Narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way that leads to life. There are few who find it. What is that? What is it? Opinions. Stop you. Where are you going, Abraham? Oh, I'm going to the promised land. Why did you stop? What will daddy think? What will daddy think if I go on my own? He will, all the Samaj will say, I abandoned my father in his old age and left. That's what you say, you know? What kind of a man are you? Leaving your father in your old age in Haran and going? What kind of a God are you serving? That's when the devil quotes the Bible. That's what people will say. Isn't it? Doesn't your God say honor your father and mother? 
yes yes sir but my god also says leave your father and mother and follow me he says also so when i have to be caught between these two you tell me which should i obey if i obey what you are saying then my father is god if i obey this he is my father i honor him but he is my god and you know you can only have one god you cannot have two gods if you ask me what i want to do i want to stay with daddy but if i stay with daddy i'm serving myself if i go with god i'm serving god i'm not serving myself is it painful yes that's why it's called the cross carry your cross he didn't say carry your armchair said carry your cross it's an instrument of death death to every opinion including yours i have no opinion and i'm going to shut my ears to everybody's opinion can you imagine what Saul of Tarsus family would have told him what kind of a crazy man are you do you know what plans and ambitions we had about you we have heard we heard Gamaliel says so many times you are the best student he ever had he had great hopes about you we had great hopes about you we were dreaming one day on the day of your consecration as the high priest boy he had told everybody you know boy Saul you will be a high priest one day and what are you doing going with that heretic group preaching Christ foolish fellow shut his ears reality of life that's an arrow way it's not easy especially when people convert it's not easy and when you convert alone it's not easy opinions of man that's the most difficult thing to forsake it's easy to oh, come come communists have forsaken homes and families and all to become a hard working party worker But when a communist becomes Christian, he's forsaking his ideology. That is the most difficult part. Right? Everybody has forsaken everything. Except your idea. that's what god is talking about the narrow way it's day for seeking our opinions and our ideas and walk in it daily that is what james 122 says be doers of the word not here we are not celebrating ideas we are not armchair critics sitting together and discussing what a great idea man and go out and never do it we are not celebrating ideas that's what they do in universities discussion forums everybody throw your idea throw your opinion everybody everybody is throwing ideas jesus doesn't throw ideas he says live it out i don't throw pearls before swine i give bread to my children eat it and live it be doers of the word and not hearers 
If you are only hearers and not doers, what did you do? You are an deceiver. What happened? You heard it, you liked it, you appreciated it and you went back and still kept your idea above it. You deceived yourself. Who are you still serving? Your own idea, your own opinion and not what I said. Only when we learn to walk in that way, we realize that there is actually true freedom in that way. True freedom in that way. And that way is through his flesh. Hebrews 10.20. That's what it means. Through his flesh, not my flesh. Through his flesh. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is, his flesh is different from my flesh. His flesh was dead. My flesh is alive. There is one way. My flesh or his flesh? This is where people got upset when he said you have to eat my body and drink my flesh. They got very upset and they start leaving him. This doctrine is too hard. Who can follow? And Peter got one more revelation. Where can we go? You alone have the words of life. Somehow he didn't understand what he was saying, but we understand now what he said. That is, I have to exchange all my ideas and opinions for what he has said. And his ideas, his opinions about it. And it's a living thing. His opinions can change. It's not static about everything. It's not static. Lord, what should I do? Today fast. Okay. Next day, Lord, what should I do? Eat. Why? I will tell you what to do. Today fast. Okay, I am fasting for seven days. He said, I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that. Because we all like a calendar. We all like a calendar. It's easy to follow a calendar than to follow a living God. The calendar makes it very easy. We can plan it out. But things don't work like that with God. First Peter chapter 4, 1 and 2. When we walk that way. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the... Oh, it's interesting, right? He suffered in the flesh, not for himself, for us. He suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourself also with the same mind. He suffered in the flesh. You arm yourself with the same mind. When you have the same mind, you can suffer in the same way he suffered. You need to have the mind first. You need to have his kind of mind first. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How do you cease from sin? By arming yourself with that mind of his. What is the mind? That's what we read in Philippians 2. I have no opinion. But daddy says, it's fine with me. The volume of the book, it is written about me. Behold, O Lord, I have come to do your will. Why do we study the word? To know the will of God. What do you want me to do? And whatever you have said is programmed it. I will go. And anything new you say, I will fit it in. But I'm also alive every day, oh Lord. Like we say, yes, until the lockdown finishes. But tomorrow he says, that's enough, that's enough. Who are we? Oh, we said, we are not apologetic. We are not ashamed to come and say, sorry, he said something, stop it. Bye. Oh, everybody says, don't stop. But sorry, we are serving him. And in the process, you are blessed. Please don't ever think we are serving you first. Yes, you are second. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
but I have to love you as I love myself. But I love God with all my heart. When he says stop it, we stop it. That's a criteria. That he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Little by little by little by little. And as we walk that route, we get to know him better and better. Why? Because the mind is getting transformed. Where do you understand everything? Through your mind. Through your mind. Somebody who is listening for the first time will not understand it as much as you do because you have heard so much. You understand these precepts and also you understand it better. Because how do we all understand? Through the mind. You will understand. And then Philippians 3.10 becomes our cry too. Not just Paul's cry, our cry too. That I might know him. Look at how everything is changes. Okay, I want, I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Do you know how he started? He started with a question: What shall I do? And how is the entire life changing? I want to know you. He's not asking what should I do. You know why it should change that way? Because when you know him, you will know what you should do. But if you he just tells you what you should do, it's not necessary that you will know who he is. That's the difference between Moses the servant and Jesus the son. That's why Jesus is of more worthy of more glory than Moses. That's why under the law, you could never know God. You could never know God. Under grace, the whole idea is not to do, but to be. But to be. What should I do? God says it will be told to you. But the whole prophecy is not about doing, it's about being. When I become more and more and more like Christ, each one of us become more and what are we doing? The will of God. Even if our sleep is the will of God. Because it's sleep in rest. It's the will of God. So you don't have to ask what you have to do. Because what you are doing is the will of God. Because why? You have becoming like Him. That's the whole thing. This is a life. This is a life. This is a life. This is the life of faith. This is the life of faith. Let's, let me make an interjection over there. This is a life of faith. Okay, suddenly it came to my mind. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4.20. It's an old man. Okay? God comes and tells him, you shall have a child. How can an old man have a child at 100? How can his wife conceive at 90? But he believed. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Do you understand, Father? What's hidden in that? When I and you walk by faith, that's the only way we can bring glory to God. God is glorified by my life. My walk of unbelief brings shame to God. My walk of faith. Lord, I want to glorify God. Just, just live by faith. That's all you have to do. 
Lord, I want to glorify you. We sing all these songs, right? Lord, I want to glorify you. So do you really want to glorify me? Yes. I told you. What should I do? Live by faith. Why? Because if you live by faith, you're glorifying me. Because it's my life. It's not your life. My life is always glorious. But when you live by unbelief, you bring me shame. You bring me shame. It is a process. But we have to be in that process. That's what I say 55, 8 and 9 means. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's how we should wake up in the morning. Lord, I know one thing. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. How much is the gap? Lord, the gap between heaven and earth. So, Lord, it is painful, but we have to make some realignment again today, Lord. Please, can you speak your thoughts to me? It is actually a total unraveling of ourselves. Daily encounter with God. And that's what Jesus means. Unless you are willing to forsake yourself. Who am I? Who am I? I am the sum total of my ideas. That's who I am. As a man thinketh, so is he. That's what every man is. He says, you need to unravel yourself. At the end of the day, when you finish, if you want the crown of righteousness... Entire thought life has been changed and replaced by the mind of my son. Then if you ask, if somebody asks me, who is that? I will say, that's my son. How did you become my son? Not only we are born of my spirit, you think exactly like me. Because that's who you are. You are who, what you think. That's what it is. That's to which we are moving. And that's the only place where there is rest. There's no rest anywhere else. At that place you are at rest. Even if you are going to be crucified, there is rest. He's going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified. How does he go? He sings a few hymns and goes. I find it very funny. Through the Holy Spirit, the son is singing hymns to the father. Son sings songs. For what? To celebrate his sacrifice. He goes singing. Because there is rest. Once you have understood, three times you ask, three times father said, nope, this is my will. Fine. How will you go? Singing. I'll sing. I will not crying. I will not be dragged. No. I'll go singing. Because the will of God, I delight to do your will, O God. Not only in preaching, but also in dying. There is trauma, this famous old story, taking place in a farm. The farmer was a very kind farmer. So the chicken and the pig is having a conversation. They said, you know, he's such a kind man. He's taken good care of us. So we need to do something tomorrow morning to help him out. So pig said, what's your idea? I said, see, I will say, I will fry uh, eggs. Why don't you make bacon? The pig said, yours is just a contribution. Mine is my life. So God is saying, what have you given? A contribution or your life? What is that you have given? A contribution? Or your life? What did you give me? Your soul or your skill? What did you give me? 
See, in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, the first generation that came out of the wilderness, 40 years, there was only one work they did in that entire 40 years. You know what they did? They built a tabernacle. 40 years. One work they did. And in that one work, so many people gave their skill, but only one man had given his life. That was Moses. Everybody else gave their skill. He gave his life. That's what God is asking. Remember, we have looked at this in part some time back. What is that we offer to God? Self-sacrifice or sacrifice of self? Sounds the same, but it's entirely a world apart. As the heavens is higher than the earth, as high his thoughts are from my thoughts, the difference between self-sacrifice and sacrifice of self. So that we don't get it wrong, let me read. When we give up the things we want to give up, the way we want to give up, and when we want to give up, that's self-sacrifice. Because in the entire process, I am still in control. It is just the work of flesh disguised as religion. That's what Cain offered. I will give you what I want to give you the way I want to give you. Abel gave what God wanted to give the way God wanted to give. What do you want to give? A lamb. Live or dead? Dead. Whose lamb? Your lamb. Okay, Lord. Which one? The young one. The firstborn. Not the old one. No, the young one. Not the one with two kids. No. The one with the only one kid. Sacrifice of self is when we put our entire self on the altar of God. We allow him to show us what he wants us to do. How he wants us to do it. When he wants us to do it. We are dead to the choice. Then we are actually offering our souls to him. So with his entire soul, Jesus served God. Right? And on the cross, what it is written, he poured his entire soul as a sacrifice. Only that soul would be accepted as a sacrifice. We think about his body being offered as a sacrifice. No, on the cross, not the body. The soul is also being poured out as a sacrifice. Because that's a perfect soul, dead to self, alive unto his father. Father says, pour it out. So you know, on the cross, what is being poured out, we think it's the soul of the son. It's the soul of the father that's being poured out. Because there is no difference between the soul of the Son and the soul of the Father on the cross. It is one and the same. And the Son is pouring out the Father's soul on the cross as a redemption of a mankind. That's that's what salvation is. It will take a long time to reach there, but we need to reach there. And we need to understand the difference between the two. What will you have me do? It will be told you. When, Lord? I'll tell you. 
how I will tell you, through who I will tell you, I will not tell you. But I will tell you. Three days later, it is told to him through a man he does not even know. It is told to him by a man whom he had come to arrest, bind and take to Jerusalem. That's why he came with letters from the high priest to bind these people. One of them is who? Ananias. Now who is he? He is the captive. He is the captor. He had come as the captor to take him captive, but he has been taken captive by the Spirit of God. So this man will lay hands upon him and his eyes will open. Through that man, he will hear what he is supposed to do. Some other ways of God, right? Does he have any autonomy over it? Who will do it? How will do it? When will you do it? No. Where you will do it? No. We have no autonomy over these things. Where will you go? Where will you serve me? No. That's how the entire redemption story begins. A young teenage girl. How will that be? I'm a virgin. I have not known man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will bear a son. Does anybody understand that then or now? No. Nobody understands. But let it be unto me according to your word. I am thy maid servant. That's all. That's all. I don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. But I know one thing. I am surrendered to you will whichever way you do it. And the consequences that follows too. I don't tell you how to do it, even in my life. Okay, so until he changes course direction, keep doing what he has already told us to do. And as you grow and you go in the Lord, it can be crazy. Literally, this walk of faith is not like what you think. It's rest, but crazy rest. <laughs> Because you don't know what he may tell you. Jeremiah 6 1. 16 1. 16 1. Sorry. 16 1. Jeremiah 16 1. Yeah. 1. 2. The word of the Lord also came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Young man. Jeremiah was called. Now he is getting another instruction. What is it? No marriage for you. No children for you. No family life for you. Yes, Lord. All my opinions, ideas, dreams, plans, over. He cannot fast forward to new covenant and say, he will say, for me it is different. Even if you burn, burn. You shall not marry. Why? The Lord has spoken. And verse 5. And also, Pastor Jeremiah, I have an instruction for you. In your congregation, if somebody dies, don't go there. Lord, what will they think? That's not your problem. Your only problem is what I think. Lord, they will misunderstand me. Lord, I am a pastor. Lord, when people die, I need to go for at least console them. Because Lord, I thought you heard what I said. Do not enter the house of mourning, no go to lament or bemoan, for I have taken away my peace from these people and loving kindness and mercies. So you go over there, be very careful. You will lose my peace, my kindness and mercy in your life too. So be very careful who are you serving, me or the people. Okay, sir, I will not go. And verse 8 also. Pastor Jeremiah, 
and you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them and ayyo lord i am a pastor lord i love eating pastor no you are not going for any <laughs> you know our pastors right second helping third helping and pastors conference no such so, so pastor is told pastor jeremiah you will not go to any house when they call you no morning no celebration this is poor pastor Charmaya is full of VP. Why? Because I have told you to be live before them like this. So they will know that you are my life represented before them. When they see you are not mourning with them, not celebrating with them, they need to realize the only picture they will have of God in their midst is you. I am not either mourning with them, I am not even celebrating with them, I have just cut myself away from them. You are my picture before Israel. Walk before me. You don't have an opinion about it. You don't have your life about it. My life is your life. Yes, Lord. And he says, your word is shut like fire in my bones. It's okay. That's what I said. It's a crazy life. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. Another prophet. The Lord began to speak by Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Meaning, you prophet, come here. Are you my servant? Yes, Lord. Yes, you go marry a prostitute. What will people think? Did I ask you what people think about you? You see, these guys had no autonomy. No self-life. If you have a self-life, you can be very sure in God's eyes you have a shelf-life. He'll put you in the shelf. You have no choice about this matter. But this is only for people who surrender. Others can continue with their ministries. No problem. But this is an incredible walk with God. In eternity, God will point us. You see that man? Oh, Jeremiah. You see, that's my man. My life lived through him in his time. You see that man, Jose? That's my life that was lived through me. And children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So what are you, Jose? The Lord's servant. What have you done? Married a prostitute. Why? Because God says Israel is a prostitute. He's still married to them. So my life is his life. Chapter 3, 1 to 3. Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too I will be toward you. What is he told? Go. She's gone back to her old ways. Go back. Buy her. Buy her. Why? Your life is my life. Telling Israel, I still love you. You played the harlot with every god in the world. But I still love you. Because of my servant Abraham. Did he have a life? Yes, he had a life. Whose life? God's life. He's living God's life out. I'm showing you the extreme cases. It's good to show the extreme cases so when the simple one comes, it is easy to obey. You're prepared step by step. These are all God's servants in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 24, 15 and 18, 15 to 18. Another prophet.
Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, yes Lord, behold I take away from the from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Who? The wife whom you love so. To one prophet he says, don't marry. Second one he says, marry a prostitute. The third one he says, you got such a wonderful wife. Godly woman, you love her with your all your heart. You know what? I want to take her in one stroke. What does it mean? She's not going to die slowly. You're not going to sit beside her and enjoy your last moments with her, holding her hand. Honey, how much I love you. I appreciate all that. You have nothing. In one stroke, she will be gone. You will go out to preach. When you come back, she will be dead. One stroke, gone. Yet you shall neither moan, nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head. Put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat a man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning. At evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. Why? Because your life is my life. In the same way I will just cut Israel off. And I will not mourn. I will not cry. I will not show my sorrow. Enough with Israel. Your life is my life. Three different people. The most intimate, close relationship on earth. God says, will you forsake? Will you forsake? Three different people. That's what I said. It's a crazy walk. You cannot look at one life. Lord, I want to be like that. God says, no, I choose your life. It may be none of these three. It could be lived happily ever after. That's not your choice. I will choose for you. I will choose for you. Got the picture? This is the pictures we have in the Old Testament. And the New Testament. As we wind up. Let's look at the final picture. 1 Samuel chapter 6 verses 7 to 9. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in the Old Covenant. You know, Eli... Eli, Eli, it was the prophet. His sons were wicked sons of the devil. Israel lost the battle. Ark of the Covenant is also taken. Havoc in the camp of the pagans because they took the ark to their temple. Their gods have fallen to the face, broken into pieces. They just want and they are all cursed with diseases. They just want to get rid of the ark. This is their plan. Therefore, we will make a new cart. Take two milk cows which have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart. Take the calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord. Set it on the cart. Put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away. Let it go. And watch if it goes up the road to its own territory to the Bethshemesh. Then he was, he has done to us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know it. It's not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Got it? Now read verse 10, 10 to 12. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves, calves at home. They set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. The cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right hand or the left and the lords of the Philistines went after them to the borders of Beth Shemesh. There are two things you need to understand. These are cows 
that have never been yoked before. Never been yoked together. They don't know what it is to pull a cart. That's not their nature. It's against their nature. First thing, they have never been yoked. Second, these are two cows which just gave calves. Natural instinct. A cow will, have you ever tried it? They will not leave their calves. They will pull against the rope, cry loudly. The calf love cries loudly. You have to use all your strength. They are not yoked. They will not leave their calf. But when they were yoked to the ark, so to the cart, and the ark was put there, they allowed themselves to be yoked, and they left their natural affections and headed straight towards Israel's camp. God says, that's my servant. That's my servant. You know who we learn it from? The Philistines. That's my servant. When he knows what he is carrying, it is the presence of God. Even though he is nature was never to be yoked, he will bend down and be yoked to carry the presence of God. And he will leave all his natural affection. Is it hurting him? Yes, that's why the cow is lowing all the way. But it will not go in that direction. It will go in the direction of God. That is what it means bearing the sufferings of Christ. Yet your direction is very, very clear. You're going towards the path that God has marked out for you. This is a test. Is it self-sacrifice or sacrifice of the self? They had to pull away from everything they are bound to their natural state. To do something they were not naturally skilled or trained to do. That is genuine ministry. If you look at all these people who were called, none of them were naturally trained to do what they were called to do. Not was Moses, no, was Moses. No Elijah, neither Elisha, nor Jeremiah, nor Amos. You look at all, none of the disciples of Jesus Christ, none of them were naturally inclined to do what they were called to do. But they yoked themselves to Jesus Christ and they went bearing his burden. And they reached their direction exactly destination properly. But if you were left to us, you would have picked somebody else. You would have picked somebody else. You know verse 14? The end of that journey. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Bethsemesh, stood there, a large stone was there. They split the wood of the cart, offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Poor cows had no clue. This was their last journey. They had no clue. This was their last journey. And they were offered as a sacrifice. They carried the burden of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the ark of the Lord, and at the end of the journey, they were offered as a... Isn't that what Paul says at the end of the journey? All these years, what did I carry? The presence of God. At the end of my life, what is happening? I am being poured as a sacrifice. This is the victorious life. And through it all, do you know what happened? Because of two cows? The ark came back to Israel. Because of two cows obedience. The presence of God has come back. Because the two cows did not make a contribution. 
They did not go with the chicken's idea. They made their life as a sacrifice. Amen? That's the only way we bring the presence of God back into this world, into our lives, into our homes, into our churches. Contributions don't bring the presence of God. It brings the presence of self. And then when that self is touched, the self is not complimented, the self is not recognized, ministry is over. Because it was a ministry of self. But when it is the ministry of sacrifice, the sacrifice of self, not self-sacrifice, but the sacrifice of self, what do we bring? We bring the presence of God. And God is glorified through it all. And there is a nation that will rejoice. Why? Because God has come back to his land. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning, second Sunday of this fifth month, tenth day, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We have heard your word and I pray every one of us who are listening at different points of time in different places, the message is the same. To check our hearts and how do we see our life? Are we making contributions or are we giving our lives over to you? To be used as you fit. Whatever situation we are in now, not as full-time ministers, as an employee, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a child, whatever position we are in right now, how do we see life? Self-sacrifice? The sacrifice of self. Are we making contributions? Or each day we realize we're giving more of ourselves over to you. So that one day we too can hear, this is my son. This is my daughter. I am well pleased in him or her. Because we then no longer have a life apart from you. Help us to understand these things now Lord has principle. So that one day it can become our life. For as a man thinketh, so is he. So I commit the church into thy hands everywhere. Everywhere. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Over each person. Sanctify our thought life today. Let every stronghold be pulled down. Every thought, every imagination, every attitude that raises itself above the knowledge of God above the life of Christ, we pull it down in the name of Jesus. And we replace it with the thoughts, the ideas, and the very attitude and very life of Christ Jesus. Because there is only one life in which there is victory. There is only one life there is perfect rest. It is the life of Christ. It's not our life. And I pray, Father, every day this transition this exchange will take place and we will have your joy. Your joy. Not the joy the world gives. Your joy. Your peace and your rest as our portion. That's all we seek, Lord. 
all we seek in this life. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Be with your children through this day. As we prepare for the next meetings, I pray, Lord, you will meet with us at every one of these meetings, O oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.